Today is Tuesday, March 1st, and this is episode number four of Hard to Kill. Okay, well, we are three weeks past our last podcast, which was a little longer than we would have liked. However, not only did we learn that we had some software issues that we needed to work out on how to use recording software, but we also found out we had some microphone issues. So by the time that we had ordered a replacement mic or two, and here we are, a little late, but better late than never. We sure missed you guys. Okay, uh, I, do you have any, uh, obviously we've been starting these with some kind of updates on current events. I don't really have anything to discuss. I think we're, obviously there's a lot going on in the world right now outside of COVID. It's, it's, uh, there's other things and we've talked a lot about COVID lately, but we will get into some other health, health related topics, but I don't really have anything, uh, any updates or current event things that I want to talk about. Yeah, then I'm good too, because I have so much to say. <laughs> That's a different podcast. But <laughs> I'm just going to bottle it up. You have to start your own, uh, you know, like a side job podcast yeah. on, for your interests. Jeff edits me, you guys. Help. <laughs> censor. Help me. I'm censored. <laughs> I told you you were not allowed out of the basement. Yeah. He has to coach me before we start these podcasts on... What not to say? That's not really true, but kind no, of. it's not. Okay. Um, so here's <laughs> kind of, we want to go over today on definitions of health and, and disease. I think that if, uh, you know, if promoting health and becoming hard to kill is a, uh, a goal of ours, we have to understand what we're dealing with when we actually mean when someone says they're healthy or someone says that they're sick or what criteria do we use, what framework do we use, what definition do we use for each. The reality is, is we're, we're not going to get to the probably the places that we want to go with our health if we do not have a good working definition of health and mm-hmm. sickness. And my opinion on this is that if you were to ask uh, most people, um, not just, I mean, most regular people as well as even uh, healthcare professionals, I think that our our definition of health is uh, very wrong and very simple, and it's not going to get us to the place that we want to go with health. Absolutely. We're kind of starting from square one. We have to start there and work our way up. If we truly want health, we got to define it properly. Um, what's interesting, I think that if we get into discussions about what is health and what is disease, I think we have to actually take a step back and even understand what life is. What's the definition of life? Health is just on the spectrum of, uh, health and disease are on the spectrum of life and death. And so we have to start with life. Uh, what is, what does it mean to be alive? What does it mean to be dead? This is going to get maybe a little bit heady and a little bit philosophical here, but, um, you know, life is not just something that, you know, some weird definition. Death is not just something that happens to us when we die. I mean, there's real philosophical, real scientific principles here on what life is. Um, and to try and keep this simple, I would say the way that I think about this is life is basically a 
a local or a confined uh, area of organized matter that fights entropy. So entropy is a scientific term. It's We're going back to probably 10th grade physics here uh, or 10th grade science at some point. So we, the second law of thermodynamics Ooh, is... This is real simple. <laughs> <laughs> Way to explain it so simply, Jeff. Well, entropy, right? <laughs> Things, the, the second law of thermodynamics, and I don't have an exact definition here, but basically <laughs> uh, a system left into itself goes from a state of order to disorder. So things over time, if they're left to their own devices, go from organization to they lose organization over time. And we see examples of that with anything that is not living. Um, a car, for instance, you know, if you just leave a car out, you know, we drive past these old farms and you see vehicles out, it went from a shiny car uh, over 20, 30, 40 years, it becomes decayed, it becomes rusted, um, it things start to fall apart. I mean, this we just see this with everything, a tree that was living that falls over, you know, eventually rots and decays and becomes dirt. It, it is broken down into basic elements, basically. Mm. Uh, and so life is, what life is, is a local phenomenon that fights entropy. It organizes the matter, materials, energy around it to stay organized to, you know, I would imagine, fulfill some sort of purpose. And so I think the two big things here is that things that are living, that there is an intelligence that coordinates uh, matter and energy to fight entropy and, you know, for a specific function or for a specific purpose. Okay, so that gets really boring. You're like, okay, we didn't, this is a little bit too, too much. But if you think about death, then death is just simply a lack of that. Uh, things that are dead or things that are non-living do not have an ability to uh, basically fight entropy. Okay, so they are, you know, they are decaying. A rock over time uh, will go from a bigger boulder, and it takes a lot of years for this, but it will get broken down by the universal forces, <laughs> things like, you know, wind, rain, whatever. It will lose its organization into something that is, it'll break down into smaller boulders, into pebbles, into dust or whatever. So things decay. Things that are non, that are not alive um, decay. So there's an increase in entropy due to the lack of an organizing intelligence in that system. Okay, so hopefully this is not too nerdy uh, for us to understand, but... Um, it's important for us to understand this. My wife is literally having an episode of entropy and lung decay as we speak. <laughs> Your COVID flaring up? Yeah, something. Jeez. Um, dust in the air. Dust, yes. You should stop smoking. Yeah, I should. So, disease and health fit onto that. So, so uh, our definition of health Things that are, when we say something is healthy, from our definition, this is not what most people think, but from our definition, health is 100% um, normal, and this is in a living body, so 100% normal function. It means the body is doing exactly what it should be doing when it should be doing it. Um, where disease would be anything less than 100% appropriate body function. So, um, do you have anything to add to those definitions there? 
No, I always like the visual of a scale or a linear um, spectrum of death or 0% function on one side and 100% on the other end of the spectrum. And 100% health is life and vitality, intelligence, coordination, and anything less than that, like you said, is um, dis slash ease. Right. Um, and eventually, the lower we go on that scale towards death, then symptoms and disease will pop up. Right, which we're going to talk about symptoms yeah. in a sec. But that's exactly, I think, that whole concept of, of, we would say that sickness is, it really doesn't matter so much where you are on that scale of health. What, what we're really concerned about is which direction we're actually moving. So are we moving, is our lifestyle, is what we're doing in our health, is our healthcare approach actually building health? Or is it, right, as you brought up symptoms, is it suppressing symptoms um, along the way as the body continues to lose, lose, you know, entropy or continue to gain entropy, rather lose coordination, lose health, lose function, etc. And none of us are stagnant on this scale either. Right. Um, I think an important concept here is this term called homeostasis, which is, um, so the human body likes to operate within very narrow limits. And so I think the easiest example here is probably body temperature. Uh, we all know, or hopefully, that you know, if you take your temperature, it, I think, I, I, again, I said obviously we all should know, and that I don't even know the number. What is it, 98.6? Or 7, yeah. 98.6, 98.7. So we know that the, on average, in a, in a normal situation, the body likes to maintain a pretty strict body temperature. And so if we exercise, like you and I were both doing this morning, you were on the Peloton, I was working out, uh, you were sweating on the Peloton because as you were working out, your core temperature rose above that 98.6 degrees, which is less than ideal to maintain health. And so your body then compensated for that. and It began sweating to cool you down, to lower your core temperature, to help get you back to homeostasis. Mm -hmm. Okay. The reverse would be true if... You know, we walked outside in the middle of winter. If we got cold, that would, if our core temperature began to drop, our body would have to adapt to get us back to that 98.6 or as close there as possible. And so a key concept of health, and this is where the body likes to regulate its internal environment very strictly in certain parameters. So we have things like blood pressure, cholesterol levels, um, body, you know, ion concentrations, um, even things like weight are actually very tightly regulated for the body. The body doesn't like change so much uh, with these things. And so if we start to find ourselves with, so we're going to get into this a little bit, but we're going to talk about symptoms a little bit later. We did this a little bit on the first, the first podcast, but as, we, as I think an important point here is when we talk about our definitions of health and, and uh, disease, we didn't bring up that symptoms are a sign like disease is when the body starts to produce symptoms and there's a really good reason for that and i think that if we as we talked about earlier most people have a incorrect or incomplete uh definition of what health is and it's not their own fault this is what we've been taught if you turn on the tv this is reinforced with every drug commercial that you see mm -hmm. it is so much tied into how you feel that health is more to do with how you feel and what symptoms you're expressing than it does what state of function your body is in or what state of homeostasis your body is in. So for our intents and purposes in, in this podcast, 
we're going to define health as 100% normal and another term for normal would be appropriate body function for the environment that it's in. So it would be healthy even though technically you sweating on the treadmill this morning could have been perceived as a symptom. It's an abnormal state of body function. Huffing it and puffing, <laughs> turning red. <laughs> it, it that We would consider that normal body function because your body got out of homeostasis. It tried to adapt back into homeostasis. That's the body doing what it should be doing when it should be doing it. What would be actually sickness and disease is if you got on that treadmill, you're or the Peloton, your, the bike, your body temperature rose and you couldn't sweat mm -hmm. to bring it back down. That would be disease because your body couldn't do what it wanted to do to maintain homeostasis, right? That normal narrow range of parameters that is best for life to operate in. Can we quickly give another example, which is very, very practical for parents about a fever? Yeah, absolutely. Because what we're typically told is when we get a fever or God forbid our kids get a fever is get that fever down because you don't want that too high because that'll, you don't want febrile seizures, all that sort of stuff. So you give your child Tylenol, um, a cold washcloth to get that fever down. But again, what is the purpose of the fever? your body is fighting an infection of some sort and your body's raising your body temperature to burn off the fever. So I would tread lightly and with trying to interfere with that, um, that process. Um, I know when our kids get sick and get fever, we let them rest and give them plenty of water and, and do nothing to interfere with that, that, fever process and how long does it take for our kids to break a fever typically? Yeah, I mean, it's quick. It's less hours. than 24 hours. Yeah. 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 And I think realistically, I don't think even most parents, whenever I ask this question, I don't think that most parents are even concerned about things like febrile seizures or whatever. It's simply the comfort thing. It's like, well, they weren't feeling good or weren't sleeping. So we want them to feel better. Mm -hmm. And you know, I, th I don't think there's a whole lot of worry about, I mean, maybe in the back of people's minds about a fever getting too high, but in a, in a normal healthy body, I mean, fevers don't get too high. Fevers might get too high in a body that is already, if the house is already burning down, there might be some problems with those regulatory measures and the body's ability to actually maintain homeostasis. Again, if the body's intelligent, right, and it's dealing with an infection and it's working correctly, why would it produce something that is going to quote unquote end up killing them? So your body's not going to produce a fever that's more dangerous than the virus is or the bacteria is, mm -hmm. right? That's literally insane. The whole concept of life is that your body is an intelligent being that has, I mean, you think about, you know, think about the formation of a baby. Sperm egg come together. If you need more details than that, this is the wrong podcast. Uh, and over the matter of nine months, you know, that cell without human intervention right? Our mind, us making, trying to fix this and make this better. The intelligence that God put inside of our bodies literally will build a 37 trillion celled mm -hmm. human being in nine months that works perfectly 99.9% of the time. And if it doesn't, this is kind of the point of this podcast. We're also going to talk about, so what, 
if things don't go correctly, what are the reasons for that? Yeah. Right. So like, why? Why does? Why do things? So it's certainly true that diseases exist. Right. It's certainly true that people, some people really struggled with COVID. Other people didn't really struggle with COVID. What's the differences there? Right. We hear a lot that it's like, yeah, it's just kind of random. We don't really know. Mm-hmm. That's in, that's stupid. That is immature, inappropriate, uh, simple thinking. There are reasons. We may not always see the reasons clearly. It may appear that a healthy person gets COVID and it just knocked them out, but something in their body struggled more than someone else in the recovery of that and there's Mm -hmm. a million factors and we're just so we're we're like i think the problem with where we're at it i think at every point probably along human history we thought we knew it all right and you look back 10 years 20 years you're like man we were way off what we thought about that and we're at this point now us included in all of this you and i are not separate from this but we don't like as we learn more you know, I've heard top physiologists in the world say that like we know about 5% of why the body does what it does, right? So think about all the tinkering that we do in this system and we really are so, we think that we know, but we are, so, our intelligence compared to the intelligence that, that creates life mm-hmm. is, in my opinion, our educated, learned intelligence is so inferior to that that it is kind of silly. That doesn't mean we don't ever need to use that intelligence and there isn't a time to ever step in and, and deal with a body in emergency situation. But I, I think that's what's important about this podcast is like we need a framework. We need principles to go, exactly. okay, you know, is this, we want health. So in this, if I'm not healthy, what are the criteria that I'm using to decide whether this intervention is a good thing or a bad thing, right? Is it, and what's the time frame there? Is it good in the short term, right? It's nice to have your kids not feel like crap. And so, you know, like I get that too. When you're, I remember Ethan once got, you know, I think he woke up one night, went to bed, seemed to be perfectly fine, went to bed, uh, woke up with a really high fever and croupy cough. And he was terrified and you cuddled with him for a little bit, sat him in the warm shower and then brought him into our bed once he calmed down. And within about two hours, that fever, he was burning up, but then it spiked and, you know, he, it, uh, he started to sweat and the fever broke. He woke up the next day, like nothing happened. But when you're in that, it's scary and you want to help your kids. You want to help yourself. Uh, even, you know, if we're going through a health scenario or we have something, I had a patient that, that, He's had some high blood pressure issues and he's really worried about it. He doesn't, you know, he's scared about what that could mean. And so sometimes when we're scared, we do things that might not be the most rational things versus if we're able to understand and have some principles and a framework to work around that can guide the decisions that we make and an understanding of, okay, what's maybe off in this situation and why my body is doing what it should be doing, I think is extremely helpful. So, um, so I, th- I, I think... So we get sick. A human gets sick when the cells of the body get knocked out of their normal homeostatic cell function for an extended period of time. We lose, basically to keep it simple, we lose coordination in the cells. So the cells stop doing what they should be doing when they should be doing it. Right? Um... I think that's a really good definition so the or a really good working framework. So I think the key is we have to figure out what pushes us away from 
What causes the cells of the body to stop working? And if we take a step back, I mentioned a couple minutes ago that the adult human body has about 37 trillion cells in there. We used to tell people there was 100 trillion cells in the body. And then I read a study a little while ago that they're guesstimating with these numbers and they think it's probably more about 37 trillion cells in the body. 37 to 75. Yeah, there's trillion. that book we were just reading said 75 trillion cells in the body. It doesn't matter. There's a cracking a ton, ton. <laughs> of cells in the body. We are built of tiny cells. Each one of those cells has a job to do, right? And that job is determined in part by uh, what genes inside that cell are turned on and what genes inside that cell are turned off. Anyway, we're going to come back to that in a second. But those cells, individual cells group up and they form with other cells to produce, to build certain tissues. Okay, tissues are just groups of cells in the body. Tissues build into organs, like your heart, like your lungs. Organs build into systems like your cardiovascular system, your immune system. Nervous system. Nervous system. And those systems build into a human a hopefully normally functioning human. And so when we look at someone who's got cardiovascular disease or immune system issues, it's not good enough to just look at the organ, to look at the system. It's not good enough to look at the organ. It's not good enough to even look at the tissue. We have to go down all the way to the baseline of what is causing the individual cells that make all of that built together healthy. What is it, Are they doing their job at an individual level and this is there's um a chiropractor he's a canadian chiropractor's name is james chestnut a huge influence on on kate and i um throughout our 15 years 18 years in school and 15 years of practice and kind of doing what we do and helping to shape the way that we think but he always talks about that you know we are an ecosystem of cells we are an, uh, an ecosystem in our body and, and we have to understand just like just like a rainforest getting sick Right. If if a rainforest all of a sudden, or we have, I think you know, there's these pine trees, or what's the beetle that's like going through North America right now, and it's chewing up all the pine beetle or whatever, right? We, <laughs> whatever it is, you can in the mountain regions, you, you'd have to look at it and go, you know, what's going on and what's the reason? You could go, well, it's just a pine beetle eating things, but there's a reason that certain trees are getting this pine beetle changing in the environment the logging, cutting things down, things growing, old trees. There's just so many factors that go into that. You have to, if you want to solve these questions, you have to look at it in an ecosystem. What's going on with the whole system? You can't affect, maybe we talked about this on one of the old podcasts, but uh, years and years and years ago in kind of the mountain areas in Wyoming and Montana and Colorado and those areas, there's too many wolves and they were chewing up the, you know, eating up the, all the cattle. The, they were a threat to ranchers. And so they went on this huge like extermination project, I guess, and they wiped out a massive amount of wild wolves. Uh, and over time, th there was this documentary and explained this, like just the trickle effect and, the, and the, the ripple effect that that had on all these other systems. They affected this balanced ecosystem that, that God, Mother Nature produced and over time, they took one thing out and it just had this ripple effect all the way down to like they were even noticing changes with how rivers 
the shape rivers were taking because how it was affecting different animals that they were coming to. The, it was just, it was an insane, like it was crazy. And then they went through this restoration project to actually get the wolves back. And they noticed nature returning to the balance that it had before. And the point is, is it's just the, we have to look at the human body is no different than that. It's just more compact that you, you and I are ecosystems of cells, chemicals, and we are an ecosystem that exists in an ecosystem called nature. And so we have to look at all these things when we're interested in health and sickness, etc., cetera, um, because they all, uh, they all, you know, have a role in, into this. And it's, it's and even, and every intervention that we do then, if we do lose health, if we're not careful, if the goal isn't a restoration of function in the body, that, that like with the wolves, if you try and manipulate the ecosystem, there's always unintended consequences that you, the, the ranchers succeeded. They helped to save some of their livestock, but mm-hmm. it took years to see the negative consequences that that had. Maybe not on them growing cattle, but on the rest of nature that they were mm-hmm. a part of. And that's the same. And this is the concern we have with the human body. Um, whether where Kate said, you know, tread lightly on in a case like aspirin, Tylenol to lower a fever. It's again, what are we dumping into that ecosystem that is far more intelligent than us? And what consequences are we producing that we might not see right away, but down the road? Um, and so that's kind of one of the perspectives that we come from being very conservative with healthcare decisions because of the fact that when we look at, again, I'll reiterate, the intelligence, as smart as humans are, it is nowhere close to the infinite intelligence that God has placed in this universe that runs it. We know nothing about it. We are learning a lot, obviously. And the more we learn, the more we don't know. I think the more we realize we don't know, or hopefully we do. I get really nervous. There's Part of me gets excited about these things like CRISPR and this gene editing technology, just because I like that stuff. I think it's really cool. But then the other part of me is terrified of, here's another example, possibly, of humans, you know, tinkering with this ecosystem that has been, you know, built to work and us thinking that we can, you know, somehow do better with it. And it's like, like, scares me. Scares me. And again, that doesn't mean that there aren't some good things that can come of all of that. This is the fun part. And this is the, it's not just black and white. It's not so much right or wrong. There's a lot of gray in here. And this is why I think each circumstance we're dealing with different things. Like, you know, we, I think we talked about this on the first podcast, but if you have a health issue that's going to kill you tomorrow, it, you know, you might not have time to worry about how do we restore function in the body, right? You have to put the fire out. But that doesn't mean then that if you want health that you're done once you put the fire out. The answer always is how do we get the body back to restored normal? Function. Yes, restored normal homeostatic cell function. Mm-hmm. Right. Anything to add? No. I well yes. Don't say no and then talk. Okay. Well, I'm gonna add just a, an aside. I watched and I've been watching on repeat this youtube documentary called back to eden and it's basically this farmer with the same principles in his garden and i just when we're talking about interfering with nature and oftentimes we end up screwing it up when we're when we have the best intentions he made that quote um in that documentary and i could not recommend that documentary 
why don't we link anymore. that in the uh, comments yeah. in the description for those of you that yeah. want to guard. It's interesting because this is in a biblical a, way. These concepts are very fundamental to chiropractic, and so we will talk about chiropractic a little bit today because there's a huge, I think, miss or you know, incomplete idea about what chiropractic is and why people go to a chiropractor. But it has it's all built on the principles that we just discussed, and it's all built mm -hmm. around that there is a intelligence that is governing a living thing and you know the best that we can do is to make sure that that intelligence is working free of interference basically which again we'll get into uh and i have not seen that documentary that you are talking about but there is food inc which is a documentary about our food supply and there was a farmer on there his name's joel salentino i think is his name or something like that and I remember watching that for the first time. And I mean, everything that he talked about was, I'm like, he's the, he's the chiropractic of the agriculture world. Uh, because it's exactly what we talk about. It's just the, Speaking these, our language. these principles. And this is what I think, you know, is so cool about it is that it tends to, truth, true principles tend to apply across topics, mm -hmm. right? They have more than one application. And so if, if not interfering with nature and, working alongside nature in all its intelligence is the right thing for the human body as it turns out it's probably also the right thing for growing a garden it's also the right thing for raising animals mm -hmm. you know getting back to as we talked about on the first podcast mm -hmm. like putting the body in a in an environment that it's genetically built for obviously just makes just makes sense so why do we get sick um Outside of the answer that we talked about earlier, which is we get sick because cells of the body get pushed out of its normal homeostatic uh, function, and there's different reasons for that, which we're going to talk about. The I think in pop culture or the common, even in the medical world, the genetics is what gets thrown out a lot. Like you hear a lot of like, well, I've got, you know, People have this idea. We've, if you turn on the drug, the TV, you watch these drug commercials. So much of it is like this family history. If your mom had diabetes, you know that you, I probably got diabetes because of I've got the genes. I've got the, you know, there is no gene for diabetes, right? It's, we are on a later podcast going to go through uh, genetics in a little more detailed fashion. Yeah. Here's what's really interesting. Genes have one purpose, and that is they are intelligent, inherited instructions that build things, proteins mm -hmm. specifically. And as a living thing, we are mostly protein with some other stuff in there. Um, but genes build proteins. That's it. That's what they do. Um, every cell in our body is genetically identical. So if we go back to the sperm and egg coming together, Right, two half cells forms one cell. You have one complete human cell with 26 chromosomes in it. That one cell divides and replicates over nine months to build a body. All of those cells do very different things, but yet they are genetically identical. Identical. They have the exact same genome in every cell of your body. It doesn't matter if we do a DNA test, we could pull a hair cell, saliva cell, skin cell, it doesn't matter. We can identify an individual based on the DNA in that individual cell. And DNA is like a fingerprint. We all have different uh, fingerprints, 
but we all have fingerprints, if that makes sense. So not only is every cell of our body functionally very unique and very different, they are genetically identical. And so how do cells that are genetically identical, if everything is due to genetics, just hardwired, right? How do cells become different? And and we're going to get into this a little bit more in a different podcast, but just suffice it to say, it's what genes are turned on and off in each cell that determines what that cell produces and what type of cell that is. Whether it's a heart cell, retinal cell, eye cell, hormone glandular, hormone producing cell, doesn't matter. Same exact copy of the DNA, but what genes turned on and off vary. And that is all controlled neurologically. That is a neurologic phenomenon that determines what genes get turned on and on and express different things. Um, at least in a, in a, well, we'll get into it. We'll get into it in a later podcast. Um, not only are our genes, we have wildly different functions in the cells of our body and our gene, genes are identical in every cell. From the very first human remains, that we have discovered when we sequence those genes, our genes have like 10,000 years, We our genes have not changed. We have the exact same genome. There can be variations with, uh, you know, like a, a, it, w- the same sequence of genomes. It's mm-hmm. a human genome for eye color. For, you and I are going to have different genes, Katie, because we have different parents and the type of DNA in there differed, right? But the, the genetic... Our genetic sequencing is identical, but our disease rates certainly change across the world now. They change throughout our lifetime and they have changed throughout history depending on, so our genes haven't changed, but our environment, but our sure environment has. has changed, right? Or the, the environment <laughs> those cells live in uh, has changed. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing. That's the thing. It's the cells are intelligent. It is possible for there to be genetic damage. So there, it is possible for that to occur and that can cause disease and that we have, Kate and I are going to go over four reasons that we get sick. There are four big reasons that the cells of the body stop doing what they're supposed to be doing when they're supposed to be doing it. Um, well, I guess there's three of those and one other reason which will, but that can lead to illness, which we're going to talk about. And that is one of them. And so like Down syndrome, for instance, is a hardwired g- genetic deformity. So there it is literally an injury to the DNA in the body that it is actually bad genetics that when the cell tries to produce certain proteins, it cannot produce correct proteins because the instructions that those proteins are built from are incorrect. So right, imagine trying to, you know, build a Lego set and the instructions are just wrong. Like it just is wrong. And so you're following the instructions perfectly, but the instructions were printed incorrectly, you're going to get a bad Lego, <laughs> right? Whatever you're producing isn't going to be what's on the cover of the box if the instructions aren't, aren't built correctly. Right. And that truly is a genetic disease. Like Down syndrome, is, you can't, there's no therapy for that. You can't eat your way out of that. You, you know, that is hardwired. A hundred times out of a hundred, that's going to be the case unless you can get in there and actually fix the DNA. Mm-hmm. Right? If you can fix the abnormal DNA. Which that sort of genetic mutation makes up what less than five percent of actual yeah it's like one to two percent and that again i'm not the expert in this but from what i've read that is a generous 
percentage. Yeah. Uh, and so genes, to be sure, are involved in every disease process, but what genes are expressed changes depending on what the environment requires, right? And so it's true that our blood pressure issues can be genetic, but not in the way that we think where they can't change, mm -hmm. right? Like genes don't change, but your blood pressures change throughout life. And they change if you lose weight, they change if you exercise, they change. So that's not a hardwired thing, uh, the way that people think it is. And so the point here is like, there's nothing you can do, at least at this point, there's nothing we can do about those that bad DNA anyway, which is very rare. So most of us have no excuse. If we're not functioning the way that we think, only one to 2% of us can actually go, listen, this is genetic. Like I can't change this, right? That's, mm -hmm. we have Down syndrome. We have, these are, these are hardwired genetic diseases that you tend to be born with and have through your whole life. There's not something that we develop, you know, your thyroid that you developed at 45 years of, of age isn't as hardwired as we think it is, right? There's, there, you might have some bad DNA in there, you know, however, and by the way, we also have I mean, cancer is a form of an injured DNA, basically. Uh, again, we won't get into that today. but um, So let's move on to the other thing. So the, the point here, I think, is it is true that we can have bad genes, but that is really not the reason that we are in the state of, like, I think the, the numbers are something like 80%, and I know this number for Canada or for the United States, I don't think Canada is all that different, but about 80% of Americans will die early of a chronic disease. These are things like obesity, uh, diabetes, heart disease, cancer. Heart disease and cancer, by the way, are the top two. Um, these are, you know, they did not occur. We do not have a spike in heart disease and cancer because our genes have changed in the Western in the last 20 years, yeah. 40 years, 50 years, 60 years. It does not happen that quick. It is impossible. ADD, ADHD in kids. This is autism. This is not, a, genes do not change that quickly. We Our genetic sequencing is the same as it and was 10,000 years ago. And we haven't just simply gotten better at diagnosing these diseases too, which is another argument. Right, right. With why all these chronic illnesses have right. literally skyrocketed. Right, and that That's to me is, an, is an insult to anyone who's actually had to raise an autistic kid that we're just getting better at diagnosing it. I mean, they're, this is insanity. Or, nor... Is it a neurodiversity? Uh, yes. A normal, a, a normal variant is kind of where we're going now, and I think this is part of the problem. These. This is this is a tangent, but here's what we've done: is that we have this issue of autism exploding, and we're having trouble understanding why it's there and what we're doing about it. It seems to be getting worse, and so now we're just going, "Well, it's normal. This is just a normal variant." Uh, and again, I think that part of this, we talked about this on the last podcast, this can be done, you know, I think to help the self-confidence and the self-image maybe of someone dealing with that. No one likes the concept of them being broken or something being wrong with them. That I totally understand. Mm -hmm. But instead of actually talking about this like it is, now now we're using this to go, well, it's just a, it, you know, so I think part of it is, is maybe to help these people feel better that they're not so quote unquote different. But now we're normalizing disorders like we talked when about we last. we should be figuring out the cause right. of this. And helping to, yeah, as best we can to restore it. Again, that you, we can, like, you can do both. We can maintain the humanity of people that yeah. are going through illnesses and that their bodies are not functioning like they were designed to function 
and strive to move them in a more normal direction without making that normal. I mean, this is what's going to be next. I mean, you see this now on TV too. You can take your Excedrin PM for your normal everyday headaches, nightly headaches. There's now it's just normal to have every headaches at night. It's not normal to have headaches at night. That's insane. Again, we're confusing common versus normal. Right. And that's what we want to do. We want to normalize common. Yeah. Which is, I don't know about you. Um, I know that I'll say this for me. I don't want to be common. I don't want my health to be in the same state. Uh, so I'm going to step on some toes here, but I don't know. I'm good at it, I guess. So own it. Uh, I go take my, you know, this was this past summer, take my kids my son, uh, out to his baseball game, there is not a, I I, I don't think 2% of the dads there, especially I'll talk about the dads. I would not trade places with those my age. I would not trade places health wise with 98% of the guys out there. So guys, Mm -hmm. I'm speaking to you. Step it up. (laughs) We are comfortable and we are flabby and we are, uh, we need to do better. We need to do better. So being common is uh, a pretty, I would say, pathetic goal here. Uh, we want normal. And, and, and again, in our definition, normal is 100% normal or you know optimal function of the cells of the body. And I know a lot of this stuff and I'm not there. Like, this is not about like, oh, you're not at 100%. So you're, it doesn't, the goal is, is I'm, we are striving, understand what health is and always be motivated to move in that direction. That's, I think the fun, the fun part about all this. So, okay. Tangent. Um, You can send hate mail to, what's your email address, Kate? Dr. J. Allgaier (laughs) at (laughs) gmail.com. That's not my email address, but that's okay. Um, It isn't. It's uh, hopefully that's a little motivating, uh, rather than uh, well, if you're offended, again, get used to it on this podcast. Um, and by the way, I yell at myself too with all that. Okay, so the other reasons here, let's get back. So, one, we've got one reason that cells stop doing what they're supposed to be doing is because they're genetically damaged, the DNA is faulty, it cannot produce the correct proteins. The structure that is whatever that cell is trying to produce. Other cells, hormones, whatever it is. Okay, neurotransmitters, it doesn't matter. Um, very rare, 1% to 2% of all of our actual cellular dysfunction we can blame on that. Uh, we have control over a lot more. Number two, and this is where we come in. Uh, this is kind of our whole profession is built around this. Is the cells individually, if we talk about coordinated cell function. So... The cells have to be working together. And there is such a thing as cell-to-cell communication, but you're, when you go, when you were on the Peloton bike this morning, your heart did not know that the muscles in your legs needed more oxygen, right? When we talk cell-to-cell communication, that can happen, but that's local. That's like cells get injured, they release chemicals, it causes other chemicals locally, other cells locally to respond to that to help locally. But that's not a coordinated whole body type of event. Um, Most of the 37 trillion cells of your body, most of the action that takes place is regulated through this thing that we have called the nervous system. So your brain is basically this gigantic computer that is gathering information from the environment through your nervous system. So we have the senses, taste, touch, 
temperature. Those are conscious senses. We have information from the cells of the body, you know, like your muscle cells sending information up to the brain that they need more oxygen. All neurologic information, in fact, about I think it's 80 to 90% of the information that travels through your spinal cord is information going up to your brain from the parts of your body. So there is a constant communication from the 37 trillion cells in your body up to your brain telling your brain, which I guess are included in the 37 trillion cells, but you get the point. There's this constant flow of information up to the brain that the brain is gathering about what's happening in its external environment and in its internal environment, meaning in our world and then inside of our body. And if, if the body uh, if the body needs anything, needs more oxygen in your muscles, needs more glucose in your muscles, the brain has to make a determination and it sends signals back down and it causes changes to happen in the body. So for instance, when you, when you even were pedaling, for you to even pedal, the muscles don't pedal themselves. The muscles don't contract themselves. This is literally signals traveling from your brain down the spinal cord, out those nerves, going to the muscles through the nerves and causing contraction of those muscle cells through the nervous system to produce an output. Mm -hmm. Okay, so without your nervous system, there is no function in your body. 100%. Right, it does not work. The definition of dead in medical terms is brain dead, mm -hmm. right? It's when the brain, your deep brain specifically, is not functioning, that's when you have no deep brain function, that's death. Like you can't listen to the heart because the you can still be alive and have your heart not beating. Your heart is just a pump that pumps oxygen. When the brain does not get enough oxygen after a couple minutes, then you're dead because the computer that's running you where the intelligence is basically stored, generated, expressed through the nervous system, that's it. And so what chiropractors deal with is something called subluxation, which is, which is when the spine, which is the housing of the spinal cord, the mechanics of the spine are faulty. It is stuck, it is out of alignment. Uh, there is a, uh, a change in normal function of the spine that causes direct pressure on the spinal cord, direct pressure on the nerve roots, uh, faulty blood flow, blood supply, ch a change in the intelligent coordination or communication between the brain and the body. And that disrupts that reflex that disrupts that response so that your brain is either not getting the correct information from the environment or it's not able to send signals down correctly to cause changes in the body and this is incredibly common right it's incredibly common uh, i would say that almost every person walking has some sort of it can be mild but almost some sort of interference in their in their nervous system's ability to coordinate the 37 trillion cells of your body, okay? And if we go back to our original definition, if we lose, death is 100% lack of intelligence, coordinated intelligent response in the body. And so when you have interference in that nervous system, this is why people, you know, most people go to a chiropractor because their back hurts, which is, again, if we get into that a little bit, the reason the spine is so troublesome for most people is because there are 24 joints in, there's 24 vertebrae in the body. And each one of those vertebrae is a joint above and below. And I think there's like seven joints on each vertebrae uh, to above and below, seven articulations, which can all get messed up and change the dynamic. And the body has alert mechanisms in the spine to alert us through pain when things don't work correctly. So it's, your, your nervous system wants your spine moving and working correctly, and it alerts us. This is why we get pain. 
the, the, the thing about pain is that pain is a short-term thing, right? Most people have pain and either it goes away because the body heals or it goes away because the body just, you just, like I was the analogy of smoking. If anyone's ever tried smoking, the first time you try and smoke, I would imagine most people cough, yeah, puke, right? Feel terrible, basically, right? If you keep doing it though, eventually it's not any better for you. Smoking didn't get better for you the second week into it. It's just that your body went, all right, moron, you're clearly not listening to me. <laughs> to so my signal. Yeah, yeah, to my signal. So I'm, I'm, I'm just going to stop. I'm just going to stop. We, The body does the same thing with insulin resistance. It's like if you're going to, I'm going to stop listening to this crazy insulin response that you're producing mm-hmm. because it's annoying. It's annoying. And, and eventually, you know, we can over, anyway, we get into insulin resistance in a little bit here. But um, some other podcasts, super interesting stuff. But this is this is for most people's spines are in way worse shape than they think. We take X-rays of people in our office, and we most people are shocked to kind of see the shape that their spine is in. They I had some issues a little while ago, but it's kind of gone away. It's not too bad. And we show them X-rays of their spine, and most people, most people, eight out of ten, way worse than what they are expecting. I would always give when I was in practice. Um, I would always give the analogy of. Um, when people are so surprised at how degenerative their x-rays were and um, their symptoms didn't really match up with that. And I would always be like, this is no different than you as an adult having never been to a dentist before. And And then finally, yeah, um, going to the dentist for the first time as an adult and they look in your teeth and you're like, well... I've, because most people don't know how to take care of their their spines, right? Either knew knew nothing, right? Of of the importance of it. Yeah, and the reality is in today's world, it's you know the as we talk about putting your body in a in a state that it's genetically built for. It, we are not genetically built for sitting. The human body is not built for inactivity and being sedentary. We are hunter gatherers at the, at the root of it. Uh, Walking, moving, lifting, pulling, pushing was essential for survival, and we're built for that. And so when you put us in a desk for eight hours a day, and then we come home and sit on the couch for three more hours and work out three times a week and pat ourselves on the back, we're not even, and we will talk about exercise and the genetic requirements for movement in a later podcast, we're not even close to that. And so Mm -hmm. it's no wonder, it's no wonder that joints need movement for health. It's no wonder that to your point that it's we are in the state that we're in and so here's our advice to you if you do not see a chiropractor call (laughs) have your spine looked at i mean my goodness exactly what you just said it it, most people take better care most people 99 percent of people take better care of their teeth than they do of their spines which is protecting your nervous system and is the foundation for intelligent expression and coordination of the 37 trillion cells inside your body. And believe it or not, most of these, or not most of these, but a lot of these subluxations have begun during the birth process. Yeah, so right. you could have, you could very likely have been walking around with these misalignments in your spine, especially at, at the neck, um, your entire life. Just look at the birth pri- process. Right. There's another YouTube video you should look, look up what a typical birth what uh, a baby undergoes in the a strain typical and hospital the birth. physical strain and stress yeah that happens with a birth, the birth process vacuum extraction i was a forceps delivery did you know that i mean it explains a lot yeah i guess 
And you weren't even adjusted. My wife went to chiropractic school never being adjusted before. How did you even, I don't, I guess I don't even know the story. How did you even get into chiropractic? How, what even? I hate when people ask me that because I have no. Divine miracle. It's a stu, it it is. It was literally, I was looking down the list. I knew I wanted to be in healthcare. I'm like, eh, on medical doctor, maybe, I don't know. I just, I knew I liked science and, and health. And for whatever reason, I looked at what, um, North Dakota State University had to offer and I saw pre-chiropractic and it literally jumped out of the page to me. You knew you were going to meet me. Yeah. You know, just drawn. Drawn to chiro- drawn to you, Jeff. I don't blame you. Just blind. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's change the subject. Um, so that's another major reason that if the, that again, intelligent cellular coordination uh, directed by the nervous system is foundational for health. The cells don't know how to act, when to act, what to do if they're not getting direction from the nervous system to respond appropriately to their environment. And so if we, if we cut the nerve that goes to your heart, your heart's going to go into AFib for about 60 seconds and then it's going to seize. If we cut the nerve that goes to your spleen, which produces immune cells, we literally cut your immune system off. Your immune system will go from strong hopefully to zero instantly we cut the nerves that goes to muscles they contract and spasm and will not relax there's the the body does not intelligently respond unless the nervous system is involved and making sure that those messages and those signals are getting through clear and unfiltered is essential for health so that would be we've got you know reasons that cells don't do what they're supposed to be doing. Again, number one, they could be getting the messages, but if their DNA in those cells is jacked up as bad, which again is rare, but we do have to bring it up, that can be a cause. Outside of that, you can't change that. Everything else that we're talking about here can be changed, right? Which mm-hmm. is a good thing. Number two is the nervous system. The nervous system is um, responsible for coordinating and controlling all that and interference in that will will block that and cause dysfunction and disease lack mm-hmm. of coordination in the cells that those tissues are affected and again and if you're lucky enough symptoms that correct will signal you to do something yep correct a lot it, of people aren't so yep quote-unquote lucky yep absolutely um okay let's move on uh number three it's kind of similar to the first one but this would be cell injury so this would be a, a literal physical damage to the cells of your body so they might have a great, you know, perfect genome, you know, perfect, you know, be able to produce perfect. The, the instructions are perfect. The intelligent response from the nervous system to the cell is perfect, but the cell is poisoned. The cell is physically injured, structurally injured, so that it cannot do what it's supposed to do. So the analogy that that we thought was smoking, right? So yeah. you can smoke, you know, two packs a day and literally chemically poison the cells in your lungs so that they are there's i mean the chemical poisons the 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 actual physical smoke can cause damage the free radicals you're physically damaging the cells of your body and so the cells just aren't going to be responding correctly you know it just simply is not going to work you're not going to have the oxygen carrying capacity that you're not going to be able to exchange gases like you're supposed to you're you're and your body's going to be constantly coughing and 
producing phlegm, which we'll get to in a second, is it's trying to heal. I mean, this is the that's the healing part of it. But that can be a that can be a cause too that that we are doing something that is just physically damaging the cells of the body. As so we maybe go back to the first analogy with chiropractic, I mean, this is what sitting does to the spine. Sitting just physically damages the spine. And mo- most people think that like, okay, what are the, it's a car accident, it's a slip and a fall, that sort of stuff. Yes, 100%. Those are big traumas that can cause damage to the spine. But it's the little stuff that we do every day, bad posture, sitting. These are all little things that can physically damage the cells of the body. Mm-hmm. Um, is there anything else that you can think of maybe that are, are things that we do? For cell damage? Yeah. Absolutely. Well, number one, just remember, we are genetically designed for health. Like that is our normal state. Unfortunately, it seems like it's getting worse. The environment that we're in, the air that we breathe, EMFs, the stuff we're discovering in our food. Like I just saw a article that they found arsenic in even organic baby food. I mean, it seems as though they're trying to kill us in our environment. So now it's even a little, I mean, uh, uh, more difficult to to get to that 100% normal function given the environment that we're finding ourselves in. Pollution and all that sort of stuff. So now we have to do a little bit extra. There's less nutrients in our food. So we have to um, think about supplementation and that sort of stuff. So our cells are being damaged on a constant basis. So now we have to do more than we had to do maybe 40, 50 years ago to be harder to kill. Yeah, and I think that that's a good point that it's not, your cells are, your cells die and are replaced all the time. I mean, the intelligence uh, in the body accounted for this. This is why you're not born with one set of cells and they just have to last you. And so if you have a cell injury, you know, it's over for you. It is this, and this is with our last point that we're going to tie into the stuff that you're mm-hmm. talking about. Yeah. Um, but, but did I jump ahead? Well, you did a little bit, but it's good. I mean, this is a segue because the last thing kind of dives into all of this. Um, but we are built for even set, like when cells get damaged, it's not the end of the story. Those cells can replace themselves and heal. I mean, your skin cells, I think it's every 14 days you have new skin cells. Your bone cells replace six weeks or something like that. Uh, um, gut cells are every couple days for your gut lining. Uh, nerve tissue is the slowest tissue in the body to replace and repair itself. Red blood cells are 120 days, right? Mm-hmm. So there are, your body is constantly being damaged. Even if you were living perfectly, just the process of living and anytime a cell does anything, there is physical damage to it. And so we account for that. And, and that's, I mean, it's why we... It's one of the reasons, I mean, we have genes is so the cells can begin to rebuild itself. Right? Mm-hmm. You can build more cells. Um, and so part of that, I think, is good news that, like, listen, we, you know, this was part of the process. It's just what are we doing outside of normal wear and tear that is contributing to, you know, increasing cell damage? Because, again, if the goal is, is for us to experience life and health as abundantly as possible, not just symptom-free, not just okay, but like outrageous, very good health, right? Where most of us have not been there. Energy, sleep good, all the good things. These are all things that we just have to look at in our own lives and go, listen, what what am I doing that is causing me to move away from there? And we have to look at cell injury 
as a part of that. And again, you're, you're exactly right. As we get into um, the, the, and when I was thinking of cell injury, I'm thinking of big cell injuries. Like I'm thinking like of a shot yeah. by a bullet. Yeah. No. Or, or yeah. I mean, it's like, okay. there's definitely like, yes, the broken bones there's, you know, it's like, that is a, a physical cause it can, you know, there's literal physical damage to the cell of the body. Um, I think a lot of the stuff that you're talking about is not so obvious in the fact that it's like going to, like you don't come in one day and go like, oh, I got exposed to a bunch of, you know, 5G and like your shoulders dislocated. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I mean, these right. are like slow things that over time, these are all little, um, so this gets, it gets into our last point here. And this is a toxic environment, right? That this is, that if we talk about wanting the body liking to live in an acute uh, or in a homeostatic uh, tight ranged environment whenever we expose the body to new things it has to deal with it so exactly to your point or and you could even go back to the smoking analogy which although does cause physical damage it's there's all the chemicals that your body has to deal with when you breathe that in what does your body do your body normally doesn't get that much carbon monoxide and so it has to change its function to deal with this stressor. And when we say stressor, we just mean any, a stressor is anything that pushes the cells of your body out of their normal homeostatic range, okay? I always think about, imagine walking on a tightrope, right? You see, you see these guys walking on a tightrope or the slack lines and they're wiggling a little bit, but they're staying there. And, then strong winds come and it pushes them even more. If they have someone else on the line that's making it stable or someone physically pushing them, they're going to fall because they have some range of balance there. But a stressor, so a stressor is anything that makes it hard for the cells of your body to, to operate normally. When we think of stress, of course, we always think of emotional, emotional stress, stress, which yeah. is a huge, huge factor. Mm -hmm. I mean, there's no question. Keeping the, when the body's emotionally stressed, it keeps the body in a state of fight or flight, which we're, we're going to talk about a little bit. Um, but stress is anything. It could be temperature. It could be, uh, chemicals. It could be a lack of nutrients. So there are two types of stressors that cells go through. Number one, they are toxic with something poisonous, something that they don't need mm -hmm. that they have to deal with and get rid of, or they are deficient in something that they do require that they're not getting. So a lot of the stuff we're going to, we're going to on future podcasts, we're going to talk about all these things. So like when we talk about, you know, movement, oxygen. These are all like, I would tell people that movement is a nutrient like oxygen. Like we always, we understand that new oxygen for the cells. But if you're, if your cells are, if you stop breathing, good luck, mm -hmm. you're going to be very easy to kill, <laughs> right? Your, that is a required nutrient that your body needs for normal function. Well, so is, you know, omega-3 fatty acids that we just don't get naturally in food anymore and so as we talk about supplementation i mean these are things that we have to look at yeah. um and so this is more of a high level overview but here's what's really interesting about about this is that and i guess number one we talk about stressors it's not so much acute stressors that are the problem when we say acute we mean short-lived stressors that are the problem in fact i would argue i think you would agree with me that sh that temporary stressors uh, although force the body out of its homeostatic range and force the body to adapt that this is actually a good thing because every time the body goes through a, a stressor and is able to recover from that stressor it gains something called survival value 
which allows it to adapt to that environment better. So in the instance of working out as I was, as you were on the Peloton this morning, increasing cardiovascular function, I was lifting weights. The goal of that is to stress the muscles to the point where it was, as I, I follow along on my chart, as I write down my weights and, you know, every week I'm trying to do five more, two and a half to five more pounds on each lift from the week before. And I looked at last week and I, and I could only get six reps of my shoulder press at the weight that I was doing. And this week I could get eight. How so much I, weight you bet now these days, Jeff? It's... You had it. You had, you made me tell my weight on air. How much weight are you benching? Not enough. I, I don't know because I don't <laughs> have maxed out. Um, the point is, is that <laughs> that that was a temp, like for me to work out was a stressor. And how do we know it's a stressor? We got, I had a symptom afterwards. You know what my symptom was? I was sore. My muscles were sore afterwards, right? And so if we base everything off of a symptom and I work out and I get sore, my immediate response should be, I better keep doing that and take an aspirin like an idiot or not do it at all because it's pretty, it was bad for me because I got a symptom, which was soreness, right? Now, no one says that basically because, well, people do that say with like things like fasting, which I think we've already talked about. I think I literally already made fun of people. <laughs> who say, I can't fast because I get hangry or whatever. Dizzy. Dizzy, yeah, which is like, that's, that's, that's your soreness after you work out. That's a sign that it pushed your body and you couldn't adapt when you very easily should be able to adapt to not eating. So the whole point here is like, the important thing with that though, is that I give my body a couple days in between each type of lift to recover so that I could do it again next week and I could lift more this week than I did last week. So although that was a stressor, we're not even, we're not saying that stressors are bad for the body. You should never stress your body. What we're saying is chronic stress to the body that, that uh, prevents your body from recovering and learning and gaining. That's a problem. That's mm -hmm. where, that's really a problem. And it would be, you could even say, well, that's, you know, working out is a healthy thing. Right. But if I did shoulder press every day and never gave my shoulders a chance to recover, I would not be gaining weight. I would actually, I would not be gaining, gaining strength or muscle mass. It would actually go the other way. My muscles would be so injured and atrophied. I could be causing problems in those muscles that are, that's irreparable basically. Okay. And so that's important to understand because a lot of the stuff that we believe that helps to make us hard to kill is actually putting your body in a stressful situation, but then giving your body a chance to recover from it. Now, I will say this, there are, there are stressors that what we, you and I think of as a stressor, our hunter-gatherer ancestors would have not thought as a stressor. They would have thought that as an everyday life occurrence, right? So a cold bath, right? We, I mean, they didn't have hot tubs, I don't think, you know. No hot six, showers. 6,000 years ago. I mean, if you wanted to clean yourself, you jumped into a lake and it might have been so decent temperature, but it also might have been freezing. And so the body had to... We had to develop genetic defenses against that, right, uh, to be able to deal with that. And so there are things that I don't believe are like, I, 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 the old analogy of like, if it doesn't kill you, it makes you stronger, uh, is partly true, right? If it, as long as you can recover 
from that. And so people are, you know, I kind of joke about this, but people are like, oh, do you eat perfectly all the time? Certainly not. But my excuse is like, I don't even think it's good to eat perfectly all the time. Like you got to throw some McDonald's at your body once in a while to let it know what's out there. <laughs> and to try and develop a response against that. I mean, that's that's a workout right there. Trying to suck nutrients out of McDonald's food and to dispel the toxins is putting your body through that's a work. workout. Yeah. A workout, right? But so the point is, is not that we, we don't think that the road to health here is to always live in an environment where your cells are never, quote unquote, stressed in any way. It's the unnatural chronic stress that we're putting ourselves in that prov- that keep the body in a state of fight or flight, uh, which happens when the, whenever the body perceives a stress and or we don't give it time to recover from that, that continually leads to cell damage, cell damage, cell damage, and the cell injury that we talked about earlier. Um, and tied in with that is this is where, and it, I guess it doesn't really matter uh, what type of, which of the four main areas of, you know, cell dysfunction cause that we talked about, bad genes, abnormal nerve function. Um, it's hard to know whether the symptom that's produced is just the symptom of it's due to the body not working correctly or it's due to the body trying to change its function to get back to health. So again, as we go back to the you on the Peloton bike this morning, the sweat was your body trying to return it back. The fever in a kid is like the virus didn't cause the fever. Mm-hmm. The virus doesn't cause the runny nose. It's the body's response. I don't know too many dead people that have bacteria all in them that have runny noses, right? It's the body's response to that stressor to try and restore and return it to normal. Um, that's the issue here. And so um, that's where I think this these principles are going, okay, if I'm doing an intervention, let's say I'm not healthy or I want to maintain health or I want to grow my health wherever I am on that scale, um, is this actually something that is going to return my environment to a more normal state? Is it something that's helping to restore cell function? Am I interfering with symptoms? Um, and like, trust me, I, symptoms suck. Like, you know, I, we get sick once in a while too and you get the headache and it, you just feel miserable. But we have to understand that you taking your sinus cold and flu or your Tylenol cold and flu and feeling better does not mean that you are better. It means that you have stopped the symptoms that your own body produced to fight the infection and you are making it harder for the body to go through that and to actually overcome this. And so, you know, this is, this is it. Healthcare is not about suppressing symptoms. Healthcare is about honoring, I would argue, the intelligent response your body is going through to more than likely an abnormal lifestyle that is outside of our genetic, you know, uh, range, outside of our normal homeostatic ideal, interference in the nervous system, whatever it is. And if we don't deal with the cause of why the body is in that state, we're never, we're just kidding ourselves if we think that we're going to be healthier, right? So not to say that if you have a tumor growing, you shouldn't get it cut out. I'm not a cancer expert. The reality is, though, is that if you're not addressing the reason that that tumor grew in the first place, what makes, like, why do we think that we're not going to end up back in that same situation, right? Just as a matter of time that it takes cells to grow. You know, 
you can pick weeds in a garden and make it look great, but if you don't, you know, and I'm not a gardener by any stretch, but you would probably argue that actually weeds are now a good thing in a garden after your hippie video. Well, all I know is they're easier to pluck out using wood chips. Perfect. Uh, in your garden. But the point is, is like you can pick the weeds, but the, if the environment or you can, we talked about this analogy, I think earlier too. If you, if I have a flies around a dumpster, I can spray and kill all the flies. But if I don't take the garbage out, the flies are coming back. And so if we want health, the answer is we have to improve our cell function, which improve our, we can't really change genetics, at least at this point. So maybe CRISPR comes along and we can, I mean, I do think that there are some things that, I mean, their sickle cell anemia is a uh, genetic inherited thing. And they have already been pretty successful with the CRISPR and gene editing, some of that sort of stuff. So kind of neat. There are some cool things with it. Yeah, great. But again, you but for most genes and add to genes, you genetically modify things that, unintended has, that consequences. will have unintended consequences. And the reality is, is that for most of us, that's not, you know, you can't, the issue. right. You, yeah. I mean, literally you could do this. Like you literally could take out the gene that produces cholesterol, but there is a genetic disorder called familial hypocholesterolemia. That is a abnormal gene. It's a broken gene that makes it impossible for us to metabolize the cholesterol that we eat. So we cannot get rid of the cholesterol it accumulates in the body. But most, that's like, it's super rare. Most of us that have high cholesterol, it's the body's appropriate response to being in a state of chronic cell injury or chronic stress where the body, which we won't get into, we can talk about heart disease again at a later date, but it's a, it, this is an intelligent, proper response to an abnormal functioning body. Or environment, meaning nerve supply incorrect, meaning, you know, toxic environment that the body has to respond and adapt to. And so uh, I guess our takeaway from this, I don't know if you have anything to add to this, but is to, you know, let's think about areas in our own life, maybe where we, you know, how does this apply to us specifically? What things do I deal with consistently? You know, health wise, is there, can I try and identify things in my life that are where can we improve our environment? I mean, you know, we're learning about this along with you guys, but I mean, you know, some some of this that we're starting to try and grow our own food a little bit more than, you know, always relying on a grocery store. So, or, or for certainly buying organic food, um, turning our, you know, some of our cell phones off at night to help decrease Wi-Fi. Uh, I mean, drinking, certainly not tap water with chlorine and fluoride in it you know, more natural water. Um, we've always been good with this with our kids. I mean, we don't, our kids have never had an antibiotic, right? I mean, it's not even an over the counter. Yeah. Drug. Yeah. It, it, um, again, and hopefully we never get to the point where there's something that tragically goes on that we have to, but you know, the point is, is like, uh, Hopefully they've been they've built up an immune system enough now, and not only that, but you know the problem with an antibiotic, for instance, is that it wipes out, it kills also beneficial bacteria in your gut that actually help to regulate normal immune function and help to balance out the amount of yeast that can grow. Right? It's like picking the good weeds or the the good plants in a garden and leaving it, and then you just leave more room for the weeds to show up. Right? So uh, trying to get back to a more you know 
I, th- I do think we've done a fairly good job, at least with that, with our kids of keeping them adjusted right since birth and taking care of that for, for ourselves. And, you know, we don't eat great, but we also don't eat a ton of crap either. We're, we are pretty sparing with that. Um, but, you know, challenges for, for us, like for me, it's getting outside more um, in the winter and doing more. It's easy to, to get inside and we ski and snowmobile and certain things like that. But, you know, like we got to do a better job of not just living inside in the winter. That would be a personal challenge for me. I feel like you're speaking to me too. Right. I hate to be chilled. Yes, you're worse than me by far. I don't mind I winter, it. but I mean, making a specific thing to go, okay, I it's miserable out, but I'm going to go out and not just do something that's fun, like to go skiing or snowmobiling. That I don't mind doing, but like every day, am I going to get out and get outside and get a little bit cold and expose myself to some elements, mm-hmm. you know, just because, just for the sake of doing it, not because it's fun to do it, but just to do, you know, to do that or to increase my fasting would be another thing is to, you know, is to, you know, push my body. I actually don't really like, like, I don't like fasting. I don't think it's a great thing. Uh, I don't. You know, I don't mind. I've done, I wouldn't call skipping breakfast fasting. It's just skipping a meal. Uh, when I say fasting, I'm talking one to three to longer day fasting where you're not eating. Like I don't particularly enjoy it. Um, but to do more of those, the longest I've done is three day. You've done a seven day. But like specifically to do that more because that's more what our natural environment is is like. Um, we've gone down the road. Well, I have more than you at, at this point, but starting to, you know, tr- try to consume, and I've done this more through supplementation, but consume more organ meats from animals rather than just muscle meat, you know, to get into more quote unquote nose to tail, which we will talk about on a later podcast as we experiment ourselves in this sort of mm-hmm. stuff. But, um, but start to, let's start to identify, you know, some different things that, you know, step one, I guess if you haven't seen a chiropractor, get your butt into a good chiropractor, not the pain guys. Uh, getting adjusted by anyone is good, but you want someone who's focused on the goal of the adjustment should be to improve nerve function in the body. Doesn't mean you're not going to get the benefits of feeling better. And we have lots of patients that come in still, you know, and when I, if I hurt my back, which still happens, I still get checked more too, but it's not, I don't just leave it for that. I get checked regularly. Um, you know, uh, when I'm, if I'm sick, I get checked more. If I'm not sleeping good, try and get checked more. Like my body isn't, and this is that this is even a kick in our butt too. Is like, you know, generally we feel so good all the time. I have a, we have a table ten feet from us, a chiropractic table in our house, and sometimes we're getting adjusted every day. Yeah, sometimes we go longer than we think. You know, yeah. just because it's like I don't have that constant reminder, and that's the problem of training ourselves not to go. Well, I feel good, so everything I'm doing must be right. You know, by the time that we express a symptom, your body is already out of homeostasis and having to try to adapt to return it. Or you've got such abnormal cell function that those cells can't do their job correctly. Mm-hmm. So we're at an hour and 20. Do you have anything oh, well. else to add to this? No, I well, I said no, and then I'm going to, I am actually going to add something. Get used to it. Um, just people. very simply put, I perhaps if I were you, if you want to look into or get at health advice, um, don't look to a practitioner that's in the treatment and sickness paradigm. Um, right, and I the caveat here is that doesn't mean that they're that's useless. That means that like I don't go to a plumber to get electrical advice. In my experience, in your experience, the medical system is not very good at health. 
great at emer- phenomenal at emergency, right? I wouldn't want to be in another country if my heart stops, if I break an arm, right? If 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 I'm if my house is on fire, you call the fire department, right? Mm-hmm. I think your argument is you don't call the fire department to maintain a house. With your axes and fire hoses, right? No, you need different. You need different experts to keep your house uh, sturdy, right? Whatever, electrically sound, you know, whatever, to, so that it prevents fire. A, a well-maintained house shouldn't light on fire randomly. Right. Broken down, neglected houses do often, right? And so I think that's what you're what you're saying there is like. If you want to maintain your house, you just have to hire contractors. You have to hire the people that are right for the job. Exactly. And so that may be your nutritionist. That may be your, you know, acupuncturist, your massage, your chiropractor. Functional medicine, chiropractor, naturopath. I I mean, these are the people that have health experience. Right. And I think part of what what we're doing with this podcast is, you know... We want you to become the expert here. Like it's really not com- animals are way healthier than humans. Are the only animals that are as sick as humans are animals that we make live like humans in zoos, wild animals living in captivity, which is what you and I are now, mm-hmm. right? And so it's not you. You know this whole thing about you need an, you really don't need an expert. What you need is a paradigm shift. A paradigm shift, exactly right. You need to unlearn things. We need to we need to wake up and see how. Really, you know, again, this is this is it. It's that you are an animal. Physiologically, there is nothing different in your body than an animal. And, you know, <laughs> Dr. Chesson always uses this analogy. He's like, I think it's insane that you would tell your kid not to give a chip to the dog because that makes the dog sick. Those chips are for you. <laughs> right? And we eat chips. But the point is, is like... It, that's the paradigm shift that we need is to go like we, we have to realize that we are part of nature, that we are animals, and that it, you cannot change the environment of something. Uh, you, cannot, you, you cannot alter the human experience and expect there not to be consequences. You can't take a fish out of water and expect it to thrive. Mm-hmm. Right? It's not, not going to work. So um, Hopefully, as we continue to go through this, you know, we're going to continue to talk about some of these concepts to start and then dive into some more stuff later on, uh, you know, specific examples about nutrition, sleep, you know, some of these things. But hopefully throughout this, this is part of that paradigm shift that that exactly that you're getting. And so you become your own expert and it's yeah. really you're just learning a different paradigm, a way to think. And it becomes so um, intuitive that it's I mean, because, again, this is not this is just common sense. This is logical yeah. stuff like. You know, if it took brilliance to be healthy, we would have never made it. Living things would have never made it, mm-hmm. right? And, and by brilliance, I mean on the educated, brilliant side of things. What's brilliant is the intelligence that God put in us and created our world with, that everything works in balance as an ecosystem. It works better anyway. And that doesn't mean bad things can't happen, but it works better when we let that intelligence express itself in us, through us, through nature, and take care of it, understand that we're a part of an ecosystem, and try and live like that. Amen. Amen. All right. That's it for this week. Uh, we will be back in two weeks for sure. We will not miss. Uh, I do think that this will be the best sounding podcast that we've done. Let's hope. I mean, the content was crap probably, but the 
the audio phenomenal i mean you can't criticize about a bad audio anymore hopefully that uh, that all turned out okay all right that's it for us signing off have a great week and we you know what we need is like a tagline like it you know sure not just be hard to kill i don't know we need like and remember something jesus we, loves you jesus loves you Boop. that's not bad we could end with that jesus loves you so much <laughs>